You're listening to Next Gen Dem, a podcast where you will hear from the young progressives who are shaping the future of the Democratic Party. I'm Max Warren, and you can join me every other week to meet the next generation of liberal leaders, hear about the causes that matter to them, and learn how you can get involved too. Hello and welcome to episode 13 of Next Gen Dem. Sorry for the long delay between episodes, it's been a bit of a crazy time, but I'm back and I'm excited to be bringing you this episode. My guest is Jessica Alter. She's one of the co-founders of Tech for Campaigns, an organization connecting world-class tech talent with progressive and centrist political campaigns in need of digitally skilled volunteers. I had a great time talking with Jessica about how Tech for Campaigns came to be, how we can ensure technological innovations live on in future elections, why we need to focus our efforts on the state level, and how Democrats need to take a page out of the Chicago Cubs playbook in order to be viable in the future. I hope you'll enjoy it. Jessica, thank you so much for joining Next Gen Dem. Thanks for having me, Max. Let, let's dive right in. I, uh, you, you recently, or, or not so recently at this point, launched uh, an organization uh, called Tech for Campaigns, and, and it's super exciting, and you've already uh, gained a, a ton of traction. Why don't you uh, just fill me and, and, and the listeners in on exactly what Tech for Campaigns is and where you got the idea? Why did you all of a sudden wake up one day and say, this is what I have to do? Sure. So Tech for Campaigns is... Uh, really building the digital arm for progressive and centrist campaigns, big and small. Uh, The way that we do that is by bringing top tech and digital talent and best-in-class technology to those campaigns, um, both through technology already out there and some that we build, and through our 3,000-person volunteer community um, that ranges in skill sets from social media managers and product managers to um, engineers and data scientists and designers. And we deploy them onto projects, onto campaigns, um, especially but not exclusively um, state legislative campaigns. And I can go into why we focus on those um, later, but um, that, that's really our sweet spot and a big focus area for us. Yeah, what's an example, just like a concrete example, like what's a way that, that a volunteer has gotten involved with a campaign? So we never deploy just one volunteer. We, we work in projects. So there's teams of three to five. And always we have a team lead and then uh, they act as the main point of contact with the campaign. And then there's the team and they work in, in weekly sprints, sort of a combination between management consulting and scrum. And uh, an example project, um, we ran all the paid media uh, and digital for the Kansas and the Montana special elections back a few months ago. Uh, we also, I think, both convinced and and ran the Get Out the Vote to Millennials project in Montana. Um, so those are some examples, but we also have examples in Virginia right now. We have, I think, 18 different projects going, um, all with remote teams that range from websites to, um, you know, building automation of, of fundraising lists. So it really ranges. And is the purpose to get sort of the campaign personnel and maybe the candidate him or herself sort of up to speed and then and then they go and execute? Or you, is it really a team that, that parachutes in but then stays? It's a team that um, actually does the work. I think part there's three goals. Primary is to change political outcomes and, and I guess electoral outcomes. Um, 
secondary is a model that can lead to long-term political volunteerism and the project model really lends itself to that because none of our projects last more than eight weeks and we scope and make sure that we know what the deliverables are so we tell volunteers you know this is what you'll be doing and this is how long you need to be available and how many hours a week so the expectation is set they don't have to quit their jobs and like move and go do things they they can be a long-term political volunteer and if they get busy um, after that project is over even if we move to a phase two or phase three which we often do um, you know sometimes we'll need people with new skills or sometimes they'll say this is a crazy time at work and that's fine we're not resource constrained because we have such a big volunteer community and it's growing and so you can sub someone else in, they can go deal with the busy time and in three months they can come back and hop into another project. So we don't want people to feel like to be a volunteer um, in politics, you have the option to knock on doors or you can quit your job and go be involved. There, there needs to be things in the middle that um, are at this sweet spot in this concentric circle overlap of um, something that's meaningful to you and that that's different for everyone. So if you have digital skills, using those is meaningful. If you don't, there's other things that are meaningful and that it doesn't like consume all of your life or you don't have to change everything. Um, and that overlap is very hard to do. I think that's what the project model lends itself to. The third goal is educating, you know, the political folks. Um, that That's a slower process and, and probably harder to measure. But I guess the answer to your original question is, um, we both scope the project, explain what we're doing, and do it. We don't say, this is what you do, and then tell them to do it. Um, you know, that, that doesn't totally make sense. I think one of the really big differences between us and other initiatives that have been tried before, or I think stereotypically what comes out um, of tech is that we're really making sure that people and tech are partnered together. It's not just about technology and it's not just about people. One without the other, at least in politics, does not work. And how do you, do you, in terms of like the campaigns you work with, do you, do you go out and proactively approach them or have they just found out about you and they come to you with, you know, an, an RFP of sorts? Um, both happen. Rarely do they have an RFP. Well, yeah, um, I mean, just, but, you know, what I mean. <laughs> um, both, they have no money, so <laughs> they have no RFP. Well, I think they also don't totally know what's possible, so right. there's not an RFP, but um, both happen. People come to us, campaigns come to us, and, um, you know, like we were on NPR a few weeks ago, and we had a huge influx, um, and we also go out and, and proactively think about who we want to help. Um what we have now is a, we actually have a dedicated team that is a data team and and they're actually building a model that helps understand the flippability of every district and every state. And um, so we're looking at that and working with state caucuses to get their feedback, um, iterate on that model, and then use that as a way to decide where we want to put most of our resources because Part of the reason that we want to focus on the state legislatures is because we want to help um, change the redistricting process, or I should say the redistricting results uh, in 2020. So we want to look at it not just at a micro level and say which races can we help, but also which um, bodies can we flip. So this isn't something that you were necessarily 
um, born thinking you would do, right? You have a whole <laughs> background that has nothing to do with politics. And, and so I find yeah. it in fascinating yeah. with politics. Yeah. Uh, how, so what happened? Like what, when did the, when did the switch in your head flip that said, you know, well, first of all, what did you do before this? If you could talk about that and then, and then how did that sort of end up uh, leading you to launch tech for campaigns? Yeah. I think if you ask like my friends and family, I've always been politically inclined, but not particularly politically involved. So it's not like I was totally uninterested before, but I wasn't not involved. Um, before this and and after, I've been a tech entrepreneur for the last several years and in tech or startups for the last 11. Um, so I had a company that was uh, a startup that we sold about a year ago. Before that, I was running a product in, a, in BizDev at another company that we sold to AOL. So I've been in the Bay Area and the Valley for the last 11, almost 12 years. And um, I'm quite sure I'll do more for-profit stuff um, after this as well. Uh, but I basically, after we sold the last company, I traveled and got back to the U.S. about a week before the inauguration. Um, and in quick succession, I don't think I need to tell you or, or anyone listening that it was a series of bad things <laughs> happening um, in quick succession, um, exclamation marked by the Muslim ban, uh, and, you know, to share some of my personal story, uh, my father's family was, um, you know, in, involved in, in the Holocaust. And uh, my grandmother, my paternal grandmother in particular, was in hiding, um, living with fake papers and was, um, you know, involved in, in the Belgian resistance. Much more than that, she wouldn't talk about. Um, and I, I just sort of imagined, you know, like, this going on and what she would do if she were alive. And I just didn't feel like I felt okay just posting on social media anymore. Um, so I would describe it as simultaneously um, horrified at, at what was going on in the country and also extremely frustrated, to be honest, at what I felt like was a lack of meaningful response on the part of the Democrats. And I wanted to do something, and I, I think marching is great. Um, it's not my outlet, personally. And I wanted to do something that felt like not only would it be meaningful to me, but it would actually change outcomes and, and do something that could lead to having um, you know, different outcomes and a competitive advantage um, you know, on the left. Yeah, I mean, it's, it, that resonates with me, for sure. Because, I mean, sim similar... You know, I mean, I guess I, I had worked in in politics. Uh, you know, working for for Senator Schumer, but uh, you know, once once sort of the, the the Trump situation arose, and I was no longer in politics, I said I need to do something. What is it? What is sort of what is my core competency? And uh, for me, it wasn't marching and 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 holding up a sign. It was it was uh, you know talking to people. Um, so so hence this podcast. So I think it's I think it's great, and I think what you're doing is you're really uh, enabling other people who are having that same thought, which is that I want to do something thing but uh you know my thing is as you said not to just totally quit my job and and you know you know protest uh you know but but also not to knock on doors there's something in the middle and i have i have value i can add and you're really enabling people to do that and it's really great yeah no it's been it's been pretty awesome i think it started pretty bottom up and innocently but um it's become amazing to see how many people want to be involved and i think 
you know, the silver lining of the 2016 cycle is how many people have woken up and want to be involved. And I think the travesty would be if we didn't give them a way to channel that. Um, and not everyone has the same, you know, desires and, and way to channel that. We need to give different people different means to be involved. So as you've sort of gotten into this world, you know, what's what's been the most surprising thing to you? I mean, are, are, are you know, I know you're focused on centrist and progressive campaigns, so it might not necessarily be all Democrats per se, but but do you find that that progressive candidates and centrist candidates who probably at this point for the most part are Democrats, are they just behind Republicans on, on, when it comes to technology and leveraging it for campaigns? Because Obama sort of famously won because of the, you know, a lot of factors, but one of the factors was just, completely outpacing, uh, you know, McCain and Romney and the whole Republican Party on their tech savvy. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So two things. One is uh, in in my um, baptism by fire education on politics in the last few months, I have learned many things that have sort of put me in the, you know, I'm sorry, can you please repeat yourself uh, mode? And one of them is that most things that have ever been built at the presidential level, technology-wise, are thrown away. And I mean that literally, because I said the same thing about Obama and that operation. But they didn't—they don't trickle down. They don't trickle down to the federal races. They don't definitely don't trickle down to the states. So um, you know, the idea that like we're better as a party or on the left or anything like that because of the presidential stuff is 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 wrong. Um, the second thing is, so very generally, yes, Republicans um, have prioritized tech and digital more so. Um, I am not remotely as involved on the Republican campaigns as we have been on the Democrat camp- Democratic campaign. So it's hard for me to have a one to one. But like, generally speaking, the stats that we've seen, and even some of the anecdotes that we've heard, the answer is yes, they have prioritized it more, they embraced it more. Uh, and there's just more together on it, which actually is part of the irony and the reason that we started Tech for Campaigns, because I felt like in 2016, all I heard is the tech elite, the tech elite, the tech elite. And, and then we got our asses handed to us on tech. So um, I really was like, OK, well, if they're going to call us that, let's like deliver. Let's like do something. Um, so. I mean, just as quick stacks, I mean, we've seen at the federal level, the average Senate race in the 2016 cycle on the Republican side outspent Democrats on Google digital channels. So like Google Display Network and YouTube, et cetera, three to one. That's just at the Senate level. Um, so we don't know on every single level, but right. um, it's doubtful that it's just at that level. Right. Um, and they, they just prioritize it more. And they're very open about it. I mean, we've seen full decks of them bragging about like, oh, yeah, we're going to use Snapchat. We're going to do these things. So um, I just think that um, part of that is a, you know, like a company, whatever you prioritize, like is important. That ends up being what people focus on. And so I just don't think the Democrats have embraced tech and digital in the same way 
uh, minus some of the presidential races. It, you t- it's interesting, you, and I've heard this uh, before. I had a, I had a previous guest on uh, named Betsy Hoover who talked about how all the sort of effort and, and money and intellectual uh, capital that goes into you know building out technology for a presidential race just evaporates into thin air. And I, I think yeah. you know the it's it's interesting to me because everybody sort of recognizes this, but but how what can we do to actually preserve this stuff? I mean, you are sending out your your teams into campaigns to solve sort of concrete issues that I'm sure are not only being faced on the campaigns you're working on. What are some things that you're doing and what are some things that people who are working on technology on campaigns across the country, what can we do to make sure that in the future, some of these great um, great solutions that are created uh, live on past election day? Yeah, I mean, I think what the silliest part is like, I mean, we have we have no real shared infrastructure, um, really at the state level, or even like between the states. And that is like, it's kind of crazy, because they're all part of the same party. So just think of it as like a conglomerate that just like doesn't share resources, really, except money. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> and so one of the things that we're doing, um, I think if you look at our site, it's not obvious, but we are building um, some both tech infrastructure and shared resources. So on the projects that we see <clears throat> becoming most popular, we're, we already have built just in seven months internal toolkits for all of our um, volunteer teams. Every time a new project spins up, they get the access to these and they're both best practices and strategies and, and tactical maneuvers that they should use. And then we'll, we'll be turning those into external um, documents as well eventually. In fact, I, um, we have an internal um, document um, and something that we prepared for a campaign recently that someone just asked me if we could he could share with other digital directors on, on federal campaigns. So um, just even that kind of stuff is not well shared, not well documented. There's not like a, hey, this is how you spin up a campaign or like this is what you do for campaign security or social media best practices. Like, there's probably 97 documents, but there's not like a blessed document. And so one of the things is just building toolkits and best practices. Um, And the other, as I mentioned, is infrastructure. So, um, you know, we're building some of our own tech infrastructure, not to rebuild the wheel. We're not like rebuilding an email program, so to speak, but um, where we see holes. Um, And again, we're first, what we call sort of like dog fooding it um, internally so that we can use it. And then eventually we'll hopefully turn some of that um, externally, but I mean, one of the benefits of being part of our organization, whether you're, um, you know, a volunteer or a campaign or a donor, is all the scale that we're getting to. Like already, you know, we've been part of almost 50 projects on campaigns in seven months, and so by 2018, by the end of the 2018 cycle, we want that number to be 500, and so we're just scaling up in a way that gives us access to best practices and benchmark data that no other central body really has. And I know to scale up, you you just launched a uh, a campaign uh, to do that, which 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 we'll get to. But uh, but it's it's an Indiegogo campaign, so folks who are who are interested should should check that out. And, and I'll let Jessica you talk about it a little bit more. But but before we get there, you know, you talked about how you're working on sort of filling the gaps, and I, and I think that's that's really important. One of the concerns I have though is you know you guys are not the only organization, right? I mean, there's lots of organizations that are that are sort of tackling the tech 
problem and 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 you guys are are have have grown tremendously and are trying to co- to continue to grow tremendously uh but how do we make sure that we're not all sort of solving the same things or how do we make sure that we are um you know communicating across groups across teams across organizations so that once we figure out a solution we can move our brain power on to to finding a solution for some other problem uh, yeah that's a good question um so i guess First and foremost, we're not the techies who think that techies are like saving politics. Um, I guess the way that we think about it is there is not a silver bullet, but there are probably several bronze bullets of which we are one um, or of which at least data and digital is one. Um, and so there's probably several pieces that that need to get solved. And, and we'd love to work more closely with, with different organizations um, I think part of the problem right now is that a lot of the organizations are are startups, so to speak. And so we're just running a million miles an hour to keep up with ourselves. And so the extra coordination level or effort is like sounds simple in practice, but or in theory, but in practice, it, it actually adds a lot of um, work and complexity. Um, so I guess that's not an excuse, but an explanation. Uh, you know, I think um, I'll probably say something somewhat unpopular, but like, if you look at the Koch brother model, despite what you may think of them and, and their tactics, et cetera, like it's a very impressive organization. Like just as a, as a student of like business and organization, it's, it's really impressive. Uh, you know, they, they are really well coordinated. Nothing is like accidental. Um, and I'm sure, you know, stuff happens, but, um, and, and so I sort of wish, if I, if I had a wish, I wish that there was um, a donor who would come or donors who would come out and actually build more of a conglomerate model rather than, you know, what I would describe as a VC model. So the VC model, you have a portfolio of things that you either give to and or invest in, um, but they don't talk to each other and you're not trying to coordinate. And in the conglomerate model, um, you have a portfolio of things that um, are getting money, um, but they at least have like shared resources and like a shared overseer, I guess. Um, and I think that that makes a lot of um, organizations somewhat uncomfortable. Uh, and again, the devil's in the details, like who is it? What are we agreeing to, et cetera? But I, I really believe that, that that should happen. I mean, if you think about... Um, who could do that? Um, I, I think that there's only a, a couple names that come to mind, and I, just to preempt you, I won't mention them. But um, I think that that that's really needed to have like a central body where um, people come together and um, don't always agree, but um, you know, the sum is is greater than the parts. You have written an article that I, which I think is fascinating, where you've compared the <laughs> the Democratic Party to the Chicago Cubs. So, as a baseball fan, a fan of politics, uh, and as a Democrat, I think that's a great analogy. And you, you talked about, uh, you know, wanting a conglomerate model. Well, the Cubs aren't really a a conglomerate necessarily, but but I'm curious why you see the Democratic Party as the as the uh, as the Chicago Cubs or similar to the Cubs, and then how you sort of fit into that model. Well, I said. I don't know if they're the Cubs. I mean, I would like them to be the Cubs because the Cubs like turned it around. So <laughs> they're the Cubs of like 2010 right now. Right. Um, pre Theo Epstein. They're the Cubs. <laughs> so, um, I mean, I'm not like, I don't hide the fact that I think that there needs to be a lot of changes at the party level and we're um, 
friendly with a lot of like the different party structures and people in it. And, and I just think there's so much there that's sort of legacy stuff that it's, it's just really hard. Um, so two things to clarify when I was talking about the conglomerate model, I wasn't advocating that it be the party that does it. Mm -hmm. I, I was advocating that it's like outside people. And I think there's sort of a shadow party already emerging. You can see different parts that like, um, there's organizations like killing it on fundraising and we're sort of digital and data and there's organizations that are helping people run for things and there's organizations like at the grassroots level and these are all things that you would expect the party to be doing well and they're not. Mm -hmm. So I wasn't saying that the party would no, be the for sure, for sure. conglomerate. I, I actually think that's not happening and therefore they're getting disrupted. Right. Um, so that's that. Uh, on the CUD stuff, yeah, I wrote an article. Um I wrote an article that is basically saying, you know, I want them to be the Cubs, what they can learn from the Cubs. It's called How the Cubs Can Help Democrats Win Elections. And um, I'm also a sports fan, and I actually love sports stories. And I think that the story of the Cubs is, you know, is a turnaround story. And it started with the top um, and, and pre-Theo Epstein, the management thing, the owner saying, like, we need, like, um, the tables to get flipped. We need a total, we need to like a restart. Um, and so I really think that that's like the number one thing without that, like little incremental changes at this point can't help. Um, but, um, if you look into the details of the Cubs and I go into this in the article about like how they turned it around, the actual like strategy behind it, there were sort of like a couple big things. One is, you know, the focus on the minor leagues, and uh, to me, that's the state and local elections. Uh, the, the party has sort of categorically ignored them for at least four cycles, probably more. Um, so that's that's number one and and really just top of our list, like explaining to everyone how important state elections are. I mean, that the states really control the redistricting process everybody talking about flipping the house, flipping the house, flipping the house, that starts in the States. You cannot do that in any way, like scalably or like in any long-term way, unless you get the districts redrawn. That, and you need the bench of candidates to actually run to win those seats. Right, so that's the second part. And you need the bench of candidates who like are, are up and coming and like it's the talent. And if you look at the Cubs story, you know, Epstein is very open about the fact that like for several years, they would basically like, celebrate the minor league games and then like have to tough it through you know the major league games they didn't have a good record so that's one second is like they had a very common doctrine that he established that like a lot of teams have that was agreed to sort of like up and down the organization and i don't feel like the democrats have that um or at least that it's not enough and third is like um and i guess a little bit to your point about um the bench is like investing in, in what I called an article, um, scouting and player development. So I just don't, I feel like this is very ad hoc right now, almost like, um, you know, scouting was in the 90s. It like wasn't based on data and it was like just a trained eye kind of thing. Um, and it turns out that like, it's not just data, but some combination of the old school and the new school um, that, uh, really leads to finding like the best players and putting together the best team. And I've just been really surprised to my point earlier about we're developing like the digital toolkits 
and like uh, I I don't want to do that I feel like we have to do it like we don't see it happening anywhere there's nothing that like every candidate gets who's gonna run to tell them like what they need to do digitally or what they should be doing on the finance side like this should be like standard stuff um, and then like you know identifying like the best people and developing them and that kind of thing I just I don't know, that seems like a table stakes thing to me to do in an organization that, um, you know, is, is trying to develop people into <laughs> the country's leaders. Well, so, well, hopefully Tom Perez takes a, takes a page out of the Theo Epstein or, or Billy Bean or, or whomever's playbook. Uh, and, and, and also hopefully he, uh, he calls you up and, and, and <laughs> figures out how to implement <laughs> some of what you're doing across the party. Yeah. And I mean, the thing I said in the article, which I think is true is like, I, I really think that, that, 2016 or the 2016 cycle where we are now is like an amazing opportunity, right? Because everyone's like, okay, this, like we screwed up and you can say we screwed up and it was this little thing over here and this little thing over here. And like, oh, we just need to do this a little better. Or you can say like, we screwed up. We need a rethink. We need a restart. Like what we say in the startup world is like, do you need to iterate and pivot or do you need like to just like full stop, relaunch, reinvent. And I think it's, I think it's the latter. Yeah. Well, this is, uh, this is, uh, you're helping to, to speed them along and, and hopefully again, hopefully they see what you're doing. And, and, uh, if you guys aren't already communicating, uh, you know, the, the, hopefully that happens soon because, because we do need that, that playbook. It's, it's pretty one-on-one. Um, so before I launch into the, uh, the rapid fire sort of questions that I like to end with, uh, you know, you just launched, as I mentioned earlier, uh, a, a fundraising campaign for the organization. Uh, can you tell listeners about that a little bit and then how do they get involved both uh, in your organization and in that uh, campaign? Yeah, no, we just launched an Indiegogo campaign on October 10th, which I'm super pumped about. Um, and you can go to indiegogo.com forward slash projects, tech for campaigns, democracy, technology, but you can probably just search tech for campaigns. Um, and the idea behind the crowdfunding campaign is the same as the organization, which is bringing tech and politics together, really being that bridging that, that divide. Uh, and to do that, one of the things we feel like is missing is, um, a dialogue between leaders in both spaces. So in tech and in politics. So, um, as part of, um, our awards at every backer level, every donor level in the campaign, you get access to a different digital fireside chat with a different notable pair. Each pair is a leader from tech and a leader from politics. So, um, after the campaign wraps, it'll be like sort of video, um, AMAs where donors will get to ask questions to, to these folks. Um, just an example of some of the people involved on the tech side, Dick Costello, the former CEO of Twitter, Mike Krieger, the co-founder of Instagram, Emily White, the former COO of Snapchat, Chris Kelly, the first chief privacy officer at Facebook. Um, so Chamath, who's one of the you know investors in the Valley and also co-owner of the uh, of Golden State. And then on the political side, folks like Jason Kander, Gavin Newsom, Jennifer Granholm, Michael Tubbs, who's a really awesome up and coming mayor of Stockton. Um, and so we're pairing these folks together and, and you'll get you'll get access to them, different folks at, at different funding levels. And it'll be a real dialogue about what is happening between tech and politics. What are they doing? What aren't they doing? What should they do, be doing? What, what shouldn't they be doing? Um, and, and access. So we're really excited about it. And obviously the goal of the, 
campaign is, like I said before, to get from 50 to 500 projects and to be able to fund this infrastructure and organization that we've been talking about that can really serve as being a digital arm for progressive and centrist campaigns. It's exciting. Those are those are some uh, for those who don't know, those are some very big names in, in both <laughs> politics uh, and tech. It's it's that's nothing to uh, to sneeze at. It's uh, it's really impressive what you've built in such little time. And and obviously, I wish you the best of luck on, on this campaign and, and, and the future of the organization. Um, Thank you so much. Uh, so quickly, let's end with a couple of rapid fire questions. Um, you know, sure. my first one is is sort of about uh, you know you have an idea, you have a spark, and 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 what do you do? So so what advice would you give to someone <laughs> looking to start an organization? I mean, you've started companies before, you started this organization. What advice would you give to someone looking to start an organization uh, to bring their own skills to bear in the resistance movement? What's what's the first step they should take? Um, I think that. Like the the quick answer is just start. And that doesn't mean like go form a legal entity and like raise money. It means like do a test and see if like your assumptions are correct. So as an example, in Tech for Campaigns, we just started with a Google Doc that was a you know, basically a questionnaire to see if our friends wanted to volunteer their time and skills. We didn't like have a big discussion. We just said, oh, yeah, we want to do this. Do other people and so, you know, start something that really tests some of your assumptions. Don't overthink. Got it. That's a, that's a, that's a good, uh, that's a good recommendation. I, I definitely do not have a legal entity for my, <laughs> for my podcast. So, uh, so I can, I can relate. Um, yeah, I'm actually going to do three questions. So what are some other organizations you've come across who are doing great work that you would recommend people get involved with? So obviously you want everybody to be involved with tech for campaigns, but, but if there was another organization that you've come across in, in the time that you've been with, have already started this organization, what, what are some of the good ones? Um, yeah, I mean, I think if you have tech and digital skills, um, we're the, we're a great outlet for you. If you, if you don't, and you want to be involved in the resistance, I, I think that sister district is doing some, some interesting stuff and really scaling, um, sort of helping on the, um, door knocking and, and calling side of things and letting people do that, not just in their district. So if you don't live in a district where that's maybe not. The, the most uh, helpful thing to do, they can channel you into the right place. And I think that's super helpful. And they're also focused on the states, which makes us sort of um, sister entities in a way. Um, so that's really, that's really positive. Um, I'm trying to think of others. Uh, um, you know, I think Flippable is doing interesting things with fundraising. Um, and we talk to them a lot. Um if you're looking for funding as a for-profit entity, Higher Ground Labs is interesting. And I think you said you had Betsy Hoover on. Yeah. So yep. um, you know, we talked to them a lot. And those three we, we probably talked to the most. Awesome. So last question. Um, is there an elected official that you've seen? In, either it can be a, a, a project that you guys have worked on or just somebody you observe, but is there an elected official uh, you can point to who's using tech in, in, a, in a very exciting, interesting new way? Huh. That's a hard one. I thought you were going to ask me if there's someone that we really admire that we want to do a project for. We can answer. We can answer both. How about that? Okay. Um, because I don't know if I, I know anyone that's doing anything really interesting or different on the tech side. Well, that's why you guys are here. <laughs> so, yeah. so what and about the one, the one that is? I'm not. I don't know if I'm allowed to talk about. So I, I, I can't answer that. So, what about the person that you you most has? Do you think is the most potential and you most want to do a project with? Um, Mitch Landrieu, the mayor of New Orleans. And how come, how come him? Uh, so two things. I, 
I don't know him, but I, I've listened to uh, him and his obviously his recent speech, but also him on podcasts. And I just think that he has a really rare combination of being knowledgeable and being genuine. Uh, and, and he it just comes off. And I, you know, I feel like I have a pretty high um, like <laughs> uh, bullshit, you know, bullshit bullshit radar, <laughs> if I can say that. And like, I, you know, I get it. I feel like go off a lot with politicians and not with him. And so I just think it's a it's a pretty rare combination to at least make people feel like that. And um, I also think like what he did showed a lot of principle um, and might not have been the most popular thing. Certainly wasn't at the time that he decided to do it. And so I, I really respect that. And um, third is, you know, we really I really like helping people that are in the middle of the country and, you know, doing things that in places that like, uh, you know, aren't necessarily, um, paid a ton of attention to by, you know, it's not, it's not Elizabeth Warren and it's not, um, Kamala Harris. I, you know, while I respect them, like, I really like that we help, um, people that are sometimes less resourced. Um, and, and obviously Mitchell Andrew knows how to raise money, but, um, you know, New Orleans and Louisiana and being able to help in a state like that is, is exciting to me. Our Mayor Mitch, if you're if you're listening, uh, Jessica, call Jessica. <laughs> you know, tech tech for campaigns. Don't Indiegogo. She'll have plenty of plenty of money to to, to work with to, to to pull off a great project for you. Uh, well, listen, Jessica, thank you so much for taking the time, and, and again, thank you so much for 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 diving in and 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 and, and launching this. Uh, it's it's much needed, uh, and I just can't wait to see where it goes. Thanks so much, Max. Appreciate it, and uh, hope people will be inspired to get involved. All right, thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you for listening. As always, if you like what you hear, subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts or any number of other places. There's a lot. Also, check out more content at my website, nextgendem.com. It may be a bit before I put my next episode up, but I promise I'll be back with more before the end of the year. Have a good one.